0: Welcome to another episode of Dark Rhino Security, Security Confidential. Today, we are honored to be joined by Troy Font. <clears throat> Troy is an industry-recognized leader. He's been in this business for a long time. He is a compliance expert. And uh, he you want to talk about SOC2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, FedRAMP, CMMC. Troy really understands these frameworks. His background and understands cybersecurity, he's worked with continuous improvement in many different organizations, a brilliant guy. We're honored to have him here today. Troy, thank you so much for joining us on this sunny day in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania.
1: Yes, it is very sunny. It feels like spring. Thank you. Thank you for that uh, introduction. Brilliant. I I like the word brilliant. Let's go with brilliant. Yeah. Uh, Hey, you know what?
0: Uh, Look, if... (laughs) You I don't I'm in the business and I don't know all those frameworks, so uh, it takes a it takes a degree of understanding (laughs) uh, to really get into it. And we're going to talk about it because I think this is a topic of huge interest uh, where people really need to get their minds wrapped around these. But before we go there, we always love starting with an origin story because yep. everybody wants to know where the beginnings are. So what what is your origin story, if you don't mind sharing with us?
1: Sure. Yeah. Where do I start? Well, we'll start. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. How far back do I go? <laughs> but uh, yeah, so graduated from Ohio State. Uh, I am a Buckeye. Um, had an unfortunate oh my incident.
0: by the way so good school choice yes yeah
1: yeah you guys are in columbus so that yes that's that's where i know dark rhino from but uh I had a football was a little rough this year but anyway uh <laughs> graduated from there i graduated in 2009 right that probably wasn't the the best time to graduate college that was during the the economic crisis uh so getting a job was not uh it was a struggle i remember right uh it took me about six months actually after I graduated to get a job. Uh, but when I finally landed a job, I actually just took like what I could get. Uh, and I became a, um, business intelligence consultant for a local consulting, uh, data, um, uh, doing extract, transform, transform and load jobs. Like EPL transactions,
0: man, that was like bread and butter for a long time. And
1: we were, uh, Using big data, helping companies use their big data. Big data was like the big buzzword at the time, right? It was a local consulting uh, company out of Columbus, Ohio. Uh, you know, I, I did accounting and IS in college, uh, so I, they hired me. <laughs> I, had, I had I knew IT. Uh, it was a lot of SQL. I wrote a lot of SQL code for that job, right? Uh, that was that was good though. Uh, I did that for about a year and a half. And so I take it you were primarily
0: working with Oracle at that time?
1: Uh, so we were using a t- tool called Informatica, if you remember, Data well. Stage. I think data, yeah. one of the tools might have been an Oracle tool, uh, Data Stage. Was it not, data Stage was an IBM tool, I think. But uh, that's what we were doing. Uh, yeah, writing a lot of SQL. <laughs> but uh, I then transferred to Pittsburgh uh after about a year and a half at columbus i ended up moving to pittsburgh pennsylvania um didn't want to do a long distance relationship anymore so i I came to pittsburgh pennsylvania and i found this it auditor job uh at at a cpa firm i didn't really know much about it auditing uh but i read the job description and it involved testing it controls on financial systems so I figured my business background and my IT background would be a good fit. Uh, did the interview and got the job.
0: Uh, okay, I got to pause you there for one second because that is like a total orthogonal turn, if you will. Yeah. Did you know somebody in the firm to get that first interview, or because we have a lot of listeners that are looking to transition into cyber? Yeah. And uh, some of them really struggle, you know, to get that break, that first. You and it sounds like you uh how did you tee it up how did you get it
1: so uh if i remember correctly this was about 12 yeah almost 13 years ago so uh, i knew an employee that worked at the firm uh well i didn't know them my my wife now girlfriend at the time she knew somebody that she used to work with at another cpa firm that worked there uh and we found this IT audit role and I just gave my resume to him and he submitted my resume for that role. Um, and that's how I guess I got the interview cause I knew, I guess I knew somebody there. Um, but at the time, like there also weren't many people applying to that type of role. Like IT auditor was a very kind of like, I don't wanna say new, but it wasn't like it is now, right? Like cybersecurity yeah. wasn't even like really a word yet probably in the mainstream in 2010, 2011. Um, and I don't think there were many people applying. So when they saw a good candidate come through who who had, you know, who understood IT, but also had like a auditing, you know, I, I did audit, I did accounting in college, right? So I had that yeah. auditing background. Plus I, I already had an IT-like job for about a year and a half, so I had that. So I think they saw a good candidate come through. They gave me a chance and when they interviewed I was a person, personal person. I could answer questions. Uh, I, I could answer basic questions about IT, basic questions about auditing. Uh, and it's a really tough position to fill. Like throughout my career, uh, finding like auditors is actually a very, still a tough role to find because- Really? It's just not a sexy job, right? If that, <laughs> if that makes sense. Like <laughs> it's not a job when you think about cybersecurity and GRC, or well, GRC, yes, auditor. But when you think of cybersecurity, not many people think like, entry level auditor at a public accounting firm doing like auditing work. And nobody really thought that in 2011, right? Like nobody was thinking that. And I wasn't thinking that either. I was just thinking I'm young. I don't, let's just go. Like I can't be picky, right? Let's just get a job and see where it takes me. Um, That's kind of like the theme of my career. I've always just kind of been like, let's go and not really think about it. I, 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 when i think about something i tend to talk myself out of it uh so i try not to think and I, when i was younger i didn't i didn't think i didn't have any responsibilities i didn't have kids i didn't have a family Yeah. so i took my chances when i could and i wasn't going to be picky um that was my attitude
0: and that's what, hey, I did. You know what? It, it, it's a strategy uh and it and it worked it paid off for you obviously it it paid off and you know what i think
1: it's um You know, it wasn't as easy, like this whole idea of remote working wasn't a thing yet either. Like you couldn't just go find a job anywhere and apply and have a thousand people applying for the same job. There wasn't, you know, online, you could apply online to places, but it wasn't like very prevalent. Like LinkedIn, you weren't just like searching jobs on LinkedIn and applying, like people weren't like posting jobs as much on LinkedIn then.
0: So I didn't have any
1: information anyways to go off of, right? Like I think nowadays you get all this information thrown at you and you're like, Oh, but this will be bad, but this will this. And you just talk yourself out of it. Cause there's so much information coming at you all the time. And that's hard to deal with. Like if I was trying to look for a job now, I think, uh, I think it'd be a lot harder, especially in cybersecurity, because there's just so much information out there. How do you know what information is accurate, uh, how do you know what path you should go on? Because there's, you talk to this person, they'll tell you one thing, you talk to this person. Um, I was always just trust my gut. Um, but I also didn't have all this information flow coming at me at the time, which I think is uh, liberating when you think about that, right? I think we get so much information thrown at us that we don't know what to do with it. Well, I didn't have that information. I just did it. I well, just acted.
0: Well, you know what, Troy? It sounds like, and you're not giving yourself enough credit for it, but you had a stronger sense of intuition than you might realize because that, that's something that when you have too much information, that gets disabled. Yeah. Because you are bringing too much. There's an over abundance of data, which gets you nowhere. Right. Whereas... There's an innate intelligence inside of all of us that uh, if you call upon it, a lot of times it can guide you in the right direction in ways that you don't.
1: Yes. Can you spot the signal and the noise, so to speak?
0: That's right. Right. That's exactly what that is.
1: Yeah. But yeah, that's how I got into IT auditing. I guess I should continue with the origin story. Yeah. (laughs) that
0: that got you into this. And and now did you have to... um, go through a lot of learnings for SOC 2, ISO 27,000, all these different? So, yeah. yeah,
1: good question. Um, so when I was at uh, the CPA firm, I really focused on Sarbanes-Oxley first. So I did Sarbanes-Oxley okay. testing, which we were, basically we were helping companies, public companies that needed Sarbanes-Oxley as a part of that. You need to do IT control testing around your financial applications. So Okay. Your main accounting systems, you need to have good access control, good change management, like all the basic IT stuff. That's what I was doing initially. Fast forward a couple of years, uh, the AICPA um, came out with with this new standard called SOC 1 and SOC 2. Formerly, it was called SAS 70, but it didn't really focus on security. It was really focused on financial systems and same thing, like IT controls around those. But then they came out with this SOC 2, which was like, a security focused audit on any type of system that has any type of sensitive data. So I guess you could call it intuition again. Uh, but I saw an opportunity and we were starting to get into doing those types of audits. And I raised my hand and said, Hey, can I start working on these? Right. Because I saw that, like, this is going to be, I, I guess it was intuition, right? I guess you could call it meet, not thinking and taking chances or intuition but yeah i had an intuition about it and i raised my hand and started doing those types of audits i didn't i just i learned by experience but i took an opportunity because nobody really knew what they were doing with those audits yet right (laughs) so if you don't have any baseline to go off of then you can't really mess up because you are creating the baseline so to speak right so uh that's a, that's a challenge in itself, right? Though if you you had to be able to like think on your feet and then figure things out and want to have that personality. But uh, so started doing SOC two, uh, and we just started growing our SOC two audit practice. And I just started auditing clients uh, that were SaaS companies, startups that were hosting their applications in AWS, Azure, GCP, and I was just learning on the job what AWS was. I didn't know what S three meant when i was okay, auditing were, yeah. aws yeah. i didn't know what any of that stuff meant but i just learned it uh and, and figured it out so that's really how i learned how to do the actual auditing then i started to read like the ma- m- like the the standard so to speak the material about like the requirements on how you're supposed to audit so to speak um but the actual like testing and learning like cloud security and figuring that out a lot was just kind of learned like based on experience. Um, And then I just, from there, I just kept getting more into security. Uh, At that time I had my CPA, I had my CISA, and then I ended up, uh, I wanted to learn more about security and cybersecurity. So I thought getting my CISP would be a good idea. So I worked, you know, the firm supported and invested in paying for people to get those types of certifications. So I took advantage of that. Uh, Ended up getting my SysP. Uh, and from there, I just started building a brand for myself. You know, I, I'd, I'd gathered all this information over the last 10 years. I was getting so many questions every time I was trying to talk to a prospect, uh, or a client about SOC two or different compliance, uh, standards, they were always asking the same question and I kept answering the same question over and over. So I was just like, why don't I just proactively put this information out to the world and see what happens and just start educating people. Like we talked about before we started the podcast. Yeah. Um, and that's what I started doing. I started democratizing compliance and SOC 2 on LinkedIn and just started posting information, answering simple <laughs> questions
0: that people were always asking me. Uh, so what, give what us started. like your top three that you get, still even today, probably get all the time. Uh, oh, the top
1: three today. Uh, well, the, the funny thing is, People are so much more educated now. I mean, not just because of me. There's just so much information out there. But uh, what's the top three? Well, I don't know if I still get them today, but uh, really just basic, like, what's the difference between a type one and a type two? Uh, like, people never understood that ever. Whenever, you, like, you would ask, like, oh, are you thinking about getting a sock 2 type one or a sock 2 type two? And they'd be like, I have no idea. What are those? And then that would just start explaining that and educating them uh another common question would have been um what's involved in like what's involved in a sock too like what areas are covered in a sock too so a lot of people think that uh when you do a sock two, like it's very it's all technical controls right or or you know like it's access not, control risk you and know
0: cost um, a fortune Cause we went through it (laughs) and um, it's no fun, but I digress. Please keep going. Well, we can (laughs) talk about that after the podcast, but, uh, (laughs) but uh, yeah. So
1: people think it's all like technical controls, right? Like if I'm, especially a SaaS company, right? So let's say you have a, you're offering a SaaS solution. A lot of people just think it's going to be like, Oh, you should have to talk to our engineering team and figure out all the, the technical security controls within the application. But really that's like, 40 to 50% of an audit is is that a lot of the audit is going to be like all your entity level and, and other departments, like policies and procedures, risk assessment, vendor management, um, communications with your, your customers and clients, uh, onboarding, offboarding. Like that's the other 50%. I wouldn't even, and that's not really technical controls. That's like administrative and uh, controls that have nothing to do with your um uh, technology all the time right yeah so, they
0: have huge security implications depending on how you execute them they they do have big
1: security implications and,
0: and i would argue they have bigger security implications than some of the technical controls but
1: you you are correct exactly but i but that was a common misconception that was like oh wait you're gonna have to like understand our how we onboard new hires to our systems oh that's not even on me that's like our hr team like I gotta get them involved as part of this audit. Yeah. Oh, okay. This is a little bit gonna be a little bit more effort than I than I thought. So that was a common that was a that was a common question. Uh, like, what did it? What was the scope of the sock? 2? I guess that that's really a common question. Um, you said top three. What was another one? Um. Oh man.
0: Have, there's so many. What's the dumbest question? I, know <laughs> I don't think question. there's any
1: dumb questions.
0: I knew that.
1: What's the dumbest question?
0: Oh, I might
1: have to think about that one. We might have to, might have to come back to that.
0: <laughs> okay, so I'll ask it. Does it? Does this do anything to improve security? I don't think that's a dumb question. I think that's a very in-depth question,
1: actually. Cause I, I sh- that's a very interesting question Uh because at the end of the day, you know, I don't know if it, I don't know how to, how we can measure that impact. Right. So like, how do you met? Like, it, it would mean, be, I've been interested in this answer for a long time and I think somebody needs to like actually do like a real study on it. Like organizations that have, you know, done SOC 2 or been ISO 27001 certified or have FedRAMP or you know, high trust certified, whatever the case may be, are they more likely or less likely to, um, to experience an incident? And what is the impact of, of those incidents when they do that, right? So maybe the likelihood of an incident is the same, right? But if you have good controls in place, then the impact of those incidents should be less, right? So if you have you good controls be... and you have SOC 2 and ISO, you should be able to recover faster and, and mitigate the, the impact of an incident.
0: But so. this is, I can tell you, and this is pure anecdotal because we have not done a research study on this. That's scientific by any stretch of the imagination, right? So this is kind of like putting your thumb out in the wind, and which is what I'm about to say is, from what we have seen, whether you get breached or not has not, materially impacted on whether you meet compliance standards. Okay. Right. The question about, do you recover faster that to be materially impacted either? It seems a polite way to say it. And that is, it's almost like, um, it's a checklist. People are going through the checklist process. Right. Without diving into the in-depth, what it, what it's not sparking, and you should, I would love to hear your side of it and say, no, Manoj, you're wrong. It <laughs> seems like what it's not sparking is that conversation, like when you're asking about what is your onboarding process, right? Okay, I have it documented. I have it listed out, and I can show to you that I hired three people last year, and, and this is how they went through it, Okay. Well, I would want to know, what was the order in which you provisioned their systems? And did you inadvertently enable an escalation of privileges as you provisioned those systems? When they left, how did you deprovision it? How did you make sure that the deprovisioning was complete? And can you certify that? Yeah cuz orphaned accounts man we find them all the time Troy right we run into it all the time and i'm just giving you an example i could we could spend the next 4 hours talking about various gaps that arise but i would hope that when you're asking those questions that's what those conversations are coming to mind and saying yeah we'll meet compliance but by the way this looks like it's an exploitable vulnerability in our process, not in our technology. Big right. difference, right? Yeah. It's an exploitable vulnerability in our process. And we should really address it. And I'll let you counter and I'd love to get a real auditor's perspective.
1: <laughs> uh. Uh, well, hopefully a good auditor would would have caught those vulnerabilities as part of the audit, I, I think. I guess that brings up the point of like an audit is only as good as the auditors performing the audit. Right. Um, And that's a whole nother discussion, but, but the rigor of an audit uh, can, can, is important so to speak. Right. Um, And so if an auditor is not necessarily going to that, that depth, then I think going back to your original question of does do audits, Do they mitigate security risk let's just call it that that is the question uh then the answer is probably no in that instance right i mean if you're just checking a box to pass an audit and there's no um culture of constantly improving security and someone only does security when an auditor is coming in and they provide their evidence give them their little you know hey show me how you onboarded this employee Show me how you offboarded this employee. Here's my checklist. We signed off on it. If that's the audit, then yeah, we're, we're doing a disservice <laughs> to, to, to the people relying on these reports, uh, for lack of a better way to look at it. Um, and and I think I think you're right. I think that the audits are not going aren't going far enough. But that brings up the question. You know, most companies don't want their auditor to
0: find those things. Right. <laughs> oh, thank you. I, I, okay, keep going. I won't stop you because there's a whole laundry list of questions on this one, but go go ahead. Please. Yeah. Well, I mean,
1: yeah, like you're, you're, I think about this a lot too. Right. So in order for me to do a rigorous audit, that's going to take me more time. Right. If it's going to take me more time, it's going to cost my client more money. Right. So the client then says, wait, if I pay you more money, you're gonna do a more in depth audit and there's a better pretend, there's a higher risk that you're gonna find something we're doing wrong because no way perfect. Yep. But then I have these other auditors over here who are charging half your price. Well, that means they must not be doing as in depth of an audit, but I'm still getting this piece of paper at the end of it that I can show to my customers.
0: Or my regulator or whoever. Or, or whoever,
1: right? Um, and, and there's a lot of that going on, I think in, in the, um, I think there's a lot of that that thinking going on, whether it's conscious or subconsciously from potent, from people that are looking for auditors. Um, I think in the back of their mind, they, people want a good auditor, but what they won't tell you is they also don't want an auditor that's going to dig too deep and find things that another auditor wouldn't find. Right. So if I use a smaller firm and I don't pay them as much money, then they're not going to spend as much time on my audit. So they have less chance of finding things.
0: Oh, it gets better than that, Troy. <laughs> I, I, it, it, um, and we've experienced this firsthand, you know, where there was a company, a former client of ours that was, being pushed to get their SOC 2 Type 1 and then get their SOC 2 Type 2 by the industry in which they did business, right? And we were putting in a very, uh, a defense in depth approach, which genuinely was geared towards a material reduction in risk. And that takes time. And it also takes a change in employee behavior because there's things that you have to put in. You already know this procedurally and from a policy perspective that really alter. It doesn't complicate. It doesn't interfere. But it does change the way people are used to doing things. And they're like, well, no, uh, we don't want to do any of that. We we want to meet the minimum to get this done to the point they're like, oh, well, yeah, we need um, X technology. I really don't want to, because I don't want to give away who it is yeah, or yeah. What, what happened here. But, it, it, and they're like, well, yeah, well, we have the technology, we're paying you for it, but it's not implemented. That's okay. The, the question is, do we have this control? No, you don't. Uh, Yeah, we do. We're paying you for it. (laughs) Right. But it isn't rolled out. Yeah. There's a lot of that. It's like they're being driven by the market because the market wants a reassurance that a certain level of due diligence has been done in these processes. Yeah. But they did the. The client's looking at it and saying, "You know what? I really want the revenue stream to not be disrupted, which is understandable. Yep. So I just want to check the box and just move on. And and who cares about this stuff? You know, that's yep. this is why we have cyber liability coverage. If, if <laughs> things hit the fan, we'll let them deal with it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so in your situation, it was more we don't need to do this full defense in depth strategy nope. or solution because we can get this SOC 2 type 1 with
0: without it mm-hmm. and, and and it's okay you know now they were in the medical healthcare field and forget the fact that if those records are out and PII yeah. is yeah. out there all right you know, you know we got that's why we have AIG yeah, <laughs> yeah that's why you have insurance yep yeah. <laughs> that's how we <laughs> that's how we backfill that we we've, we've had other clients that you know they are required to have I mean, MFA single sign on is a basic requirement anymore. They have the technology, but they haven't turned it on. It's like, yeah, we 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 bought multi-factor, but nah, you know, our, our team doesn't like that's That's too hard. We don't want that. <laughs> and... <laughs> yeah. I'm not making these are real examples. I I, right. I wish they were lies and they were just total nonsensical garbage, but it really happens.
1: Yeah, I, I I think that yeah, and it's I guess it's not just it's a big cybersecurity problem across the board, right? It's it's people not understanding the risk um, of implementing controls, and I think well, I think part of the reason is that like all these, obviously all these cost money, all these solutions cost money. Not sure. It's not just a procedural change and, and and culture change. Sometimes, like maybe with MFA, it might have been. I mean with the defense in depth solution it's it's a big cost right and so you're trying to get a budget approved you're trying to explain to somebody why we need this solution why we need to implement it and the people you're explaining it to are trying to understand an ROI right well what's the ROI right okay well the ROI is we won't get breached but but like how do you like okay what if we don't implement the solution like what's what's Like, what's the risk of getting breached if we don't have this solution? Well, you need to almost, like, do, like, a return on control, so to speak, like a return on investment, return on control, and you need to measure, you need to quantify risk, right? So here's the risk without this solution. And then when we have that solution, our risk is going to be X. So our return on that risk reduction is this risk minus the risk when we implement it and, and I'm not, and it's almost trying to like explain it in those terms because they don't, people making the, the, the financial decisions can't understand risk unless it's in, unless it's quantified. And they so, need to understand what's the risk with it, what's the risk without
0: it. So you, this is um, cost avoidance in some, in many respects, right? So the, the the question is like, uh, do do you have fire flood insurance on your house, Troy? I'm sure you sure you do. <laughs> right. Did your house burn down last year? No. Nope. No. Right. <laughs> Are you still paying for it? <laughs> right. All right. So what's your ROI? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the, there's there's that, and then. There's the question of, you know, you look, if you look at the stats and we only service the SMB space, really, Um, we do some work in the enterprise on a consultative basis. But most of our work is in SMB, small, medium businesses. Those those people, sub 1500, 2000 employees, that that group, six months, according to insurance statistics, six months post breach, many of these companies are out of business. okay yeah. So what is that? That's that. Now that's a quantifiable statistic because that's and that's from an outside measure. If I, if we as a cybersecurity company or you as an auditor presented, it might be a little bit of a self-serving thing. Well, you're just trying to sell me more hours, or I'm trying to sell you, whatever.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> no more security or whatever the case may be. It may be looked at that way, but that's 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 a genuine thing. And.
1: But you know, if you going back to the insurance though. If you, let's look at car insurance, there are yeah. rules that said, if you're going to go on the road, <laughs> you need to have car insurance, right? So they almost made laws to force people yes. to, to buy that because they could impact other people, right? So we, we don't have those types of mandates for cybersecurity, right? Like Yet. if you think about it, like, right, like I give you Yet. my data, there's no really no mandate unless I put it in a contract for you to have, you know, you might put contractual clauses in there, but there's not like a a law that says like in order for you to do business with the with other customers, you know, CMMC might be that, and FedRAMP might be close to that. But if we're looking at the private sector, if you're not working with federal government. Um, there's not like laws that would require you to do certain things. Like in car insurance, right? I can't drive a car without car insurance in Pennsylvania, right? Because if I get in an accident, I got to have money, to, if it's my
0: fault, to to pay for the damages, right? And and you know what, Troy, the the counter you get is, well, cybersecurity is unique in that the other side is often, this isn't criminal behavior or in the traditional sense of somebody's got a gun, they come into your house and they say, get out or give me your money or as the case may be. These are very sophisticated actors who are constantly piercing the veil of technology and process at every moment to try to find a way to infiltrate. And companies are like, we can't stop that. And there's a little bit of a truth to that statement. I mean, they... Staying ahead of that is a very impossible task almost, you know, there's always going to be a way to breach something. And they're like, well, then why should I be held liable for something that I can't prevent? Anyways, I've heard that argument and I, I have a counter to it, but your thoughts as a, as a pro on this, what?
1: Why should I be held liable? You're saying for, for a breach of my customer's data and my systems.
0: Yeah. If there's 5,000 PhDs who work at the GRU, who wake up every morning trying to figure out every gap in Microsoft's
1: <laughs> that.
0: environment or Amazon's environment and how they're going to do bad things, I can't compete with that. You're telling me my cybersecurity guys or my IT team of four people is going to stop that crew? Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
1: well, then <laughs> I don't know if I have a good counter to that. These—they're right. They're not going to be able to stop it. <laughs> I, think, I don't think you can. I don't think you can prevent it. Uh, you know, there there is no silver bullet that's going to allow them to prevent there it. There is um, no there. There is no silver bullet. You're right. But they. But I guess should they be held liable? Um, if it's negligence, yes. Like I mean, if it's something that's right,
0: that's, like... see, that's a brilliant answer, and that's my <laughs> counter to the whole thing, right? If it's negligence, have you done enough? You're right. You know, no one is saying that you're not going. You're going to be breach free. I mean, even any of our customers, we always we we never guarantee that we can stop all breaches. We can't do that, right? But if we do our job right we can certainly make sure the ship doesn't sink or even really suffer, you know, major catastrophic losses. Right. Yeah,
1: I mean, I, I think for for companies, it's, it's something even as simple as like, you know, we all know where our money is, right? If like we all could tell you exactly what banks we have our money in, what 401ks are, where's this, where's that, where it's hidden in our house. Like we can all tell you that right away, right now. If I asked you, "Where's your customer's data?" Could you answer that question? I, most people, probably I can I can that actually
0: question. tell you where it is. You might,
1: yeah. You, you but you're a cybersecurity. You could, but I guarantee, <laughs> if you went to like the leader of a company, well, you know, depending on the size, it's hard to know where it all is, right? But do they? Can they? Even, do they even know what they have to
0: protect and where it is? I guess is my question, right? Oh my god, that but, topic's come up on the show a thousand times. But. Yeah, because
1: I think that's the number one thing. It's like don't start doing anything if you don't know what you need to protect or where it is. Like I'm like, what what do you if you don't know where what you're protecting, what do you build like how are you gonna protect it?
0: <laughs> it's like Troy, that brings up a question on when you're when you go into an organization as, as a professional auditor, is your interface typically the technical team or do you have the year of the executive team? to report back to them and really give them genuine feedback on uh, rather than, you know, cause the tech, the exec team doesn't understand, maybe they don't understand why we need a SIM or how does it yeah. work or what? Yeah. <laughs> right.
1: It, it probably depends on the size of the company. I would say, right. I mean, I think smaller companies, the exec team is usually at least interested in the results, so to speak of the audit right um, edging into bigger organizations it depends if the if the person like leading the security team is considered part of the executive team right i mean sometimes they have a direct line to people on the c suite sometimes they they don't uh, or there there are a couple layers removed um, so it really it, it really depends on when you get to the bigger companies but But a lot of times we're not necessarily directly um, engaging with the with the executive team at larger companies during the audit. Um, You know, they just they have too much going on to worry about me. But, uh, uh, you know,
0: but do they? But because if you highlight vulnerabilities and gaps in process, I would imagine they have a fiduciary responsibility to correct.
1: Yeah, yeah. um, That is a good point. Um, it, but it depends on their governance structure, right? Like who, who's responsible for, for those gaps, I guess, right? Um, what, the, what the people do with our audit report internally is a good question. I don't always know that answer, right? So if there's uh, gaps or vulnerabilities identified, and I think it's different too with the type of audit, if that makes sense, right? If you're doing a SOC 2 or ISO and it's an external audit, that's kind of... Meant as a report for your customers, that that type of audit mis- might not necessarily like, well, it won't be as in depth probably as like an internal audit, right? So if I'm in a large company and there's an internal audit being done by internal audit on a very, let's just say, identity access management. So internal audit's doing an identity access management audit over the entire company and how they manage identities and how they remove, how they onboard, how they do all that that type of report if there's if there's gaps called out in that type of report that's meant for management or executive teams i think yes i think those types of reports are getting reported to audit committees they're getting reported to uh, executive level uh, team members and they're seeing those results and they then have a responsibility to make sure that those those vulnerabilities and those gaps are being remediated um so i think if you're referring to internal audit at a large company, yes, I think they are seeing, I think certain members of the executive team are seeing those results, for sure.
0: Regarding CMMC specifically, I think I'll just call it level two, um, where you have like, I believe it's 108 controls you have to meet. Do you think- Yes, yep. That is overbearing for many of the businesses that have to comply or is that does not go far enough?
1: <laughs> well miss 171 right that's really what it is um, yeah oh that's a fun question
0: <laughs> sorry <laughs> no, I mean, Hey, Friday uh, let's
1: yeah does does it go far enough I mean I does any we can always say nothing something could always be more I guess is what I'm saying right um but I I think yeah, if, if we look through at 171, I'm sure we would say, like, why doesn't it talk about X? We'd be like, where is this? Why is it not talking about that? So, yes, th- it could always go f- do more. But I think if we compare it to what's going on in the defense industrial base right now, meaning, like, the maturity of security at these companies is probably very low. And if they're not mandated to do something, uh, they're just going to continue to have those – low maturity in terms of security um then it does go far enough i guess if that if that makes sense right like like that's if we, good to if mean, we, actually
0: right it makes we take that we're doing
1: now is, is nothing and something is better than nothing as far as i'm concerned at this point do we need to iterate and then constantly improve and get better yes you should always keep doing that um but i think for a lot of companies in the defense industrial base complying with this standard 171 is going to be Burden—it's gonna be hard for them to do, um, especially for the smaller players, right? The smaller manufacturers um, might not even have a security person, and now all of a sudden they got to implement 110 controls. Um, that's gonna be hard for them to do. Uh, for the companies like Boeing and you know um, all yeah, the big primes, well, they're already been doing this. They've had so many regulations; they have to do all this. It's not—it probably doesn't go far enough for them right, but if you're talking to smaller players, it goes far enough um, and they're they're probably going to struggle for the, for the smaller players <clears throat> um, but it's better than it's, it's it's we need something um we need to
0: start somewhere how much time do you think it would take um, a firm in that defense industrial base a small a uh, small medium business um? to actually comply with the CMMC requirements. Miss one's it. What's how big is the bread box, you know? What's a range well, the here? They're starting from if they
1: have no nothing in place like today, I guess it's probably a probably 12 months if I had to guess to do it all. Okay. Um, just because it's going to require solution solutioning, like right, finding tools, evaluating tools, um, changing your policies and procedures, um, you know, implementing, you know, new uh, new controls um, that you might get pushed back on, right? So it's not, you know, understanding what you have to do isn't the problem. It's getting, it, it's implementing, right? And, and getting people to do what you want them to do and finding the right tools and finding the budget, right? All that takes time. Um, so it's not necessarily, I think people have a misconception that it's, it's all implementation, so to speak, right? Like if 110 controls, it's going to take us so long to implement. But the implementation part might not take long. But if you're trying to buy three new tools to do something, you don't have the budget. Getting the budget approved might take six months, right? Depending on the organization, right? Or evaluating the tools. Once you have them, that might take a month to, to configure them and get them up and running and, and do what you want them to do. But it's that initial six months that people – don't understand because they haven't been involved with it. So I I think people need to understand that it's not just, um, you know, implementation. It's really the administrative um, and, and, you know, red tape and overhead that depending on the culture of your organization might slow you down a lot. So you should start thinking about it now so that that stuff doesn't get in the way. Because when sales says, are we CMMC certified yet? Uh, and you're like, well, that might I've been be a trying late to get this budget approved for six months. That's not going to be a fun conversation to have, right? So, um, yeah, that's what people
0: need to start thinking about. The jump from SOC 2 Type 1 to SOC 2 Type 2. How long does that take?
1: That Actually, that probably doesn't take as long as you would think. Um, Because SOC 2 type 1, really, the difference between a type 1 and type 2, it's more of from the auditor side, right? So an auditor has to do more testing, has to look at more evidence, uh, has to do more sampling, so to speak, uh, throughout the period. Uh, But the controls are, if you're doing a type 1 and type 2, the controls should be the same. The difference is you're going to have to give more evidence to your auditor, spend more time with your auditor. They're going to ask you more questions. They're going to look at more evidence. Uh, That's the biggest difference. Uh, But if you did a type 1 and your controls are in place and they're operating, theoretically speaking, you should be good for the type 2.
0: That's good to know. Now, and the SOC standard is an accounting standard, if I understand correctly. Right, It's not NIST. It is not.
1: It is uh, the standard is by the AICPA, the uh, Association of International Certified Public
0: Accountants. Yeah, I bet you a lot of people didn't know that, and that, <laughs> <laughs> you know they're thinking that's a security standard, and uh, it's not. It's um, which is interesting that a bunch of accountants got together and put it in place. So,
1: yes, yeah, that is another uh, fun fun topic to discuss. Um, But it is true that auditors accounts got together, but I would also make the argument that NIST (laughs) might not have (laughs) lawyers. I don't know. I don't know who's putting together NIST, but you know, the, 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 the people putting together NIST aren't necessarily, um, practitioners, I guess, either, in the security field, potentially, right? Um, you know, so I, I think I think the standards are good in general, but I think the what organizations need to think about is how can I make these standards practical to my situation, right? Nobody's gonna comply with NIST 153, 100%. It's impossible, like, it's not even, or, or CMMC. But you need to be flexible and you need to be able to interpret what the standard says and make it practical for you, um, you know, and, and based it off a of risk, right? I mean, again, these standards are written with a certain type of organization in mind. And if you're a smaller organization, you don't face the same types of risks necessarily. You don't necessarily need to, to implement a very um, expensive tool, you know. Maybe a spreadsheet is good enough. For a small organization to start off, I, maybe, right? Why not? And no. <laughs> but I think I think people need to be practical about security. Um, the standards are great, but it, but you need to be practical about it and understand how do I how do I implement this uh, the way that makes sense for my organization while also meeting what the, the spirit of the standard says.
0: Which is now is this something that you and your firm do? when they hire you is provide them the practical guidance even prior to audit.
1: I think, I think we do that, uh, naturally.
0: Yeah. I don't, I don't
1: think we're like coming out and saying that we're, we're doing that, but I think if you have conversations with our team or, or there's a lot of good auditors that are probably doing this out there, but naturally, we're probably being practical when we're having our conversations because we've had experience working with these types of organizations. And so we are, when we do like consulting engagements, we are taking practical approaches with them, having collaborative conversations, really understanding like, what is your system like? Uh, you know, what what is the risk? Like what type of data do you have? You know, maybe maybe your data is less, you know, if you're not, if you don't have highly sensitive data, you know, a long-winded process and control might not be necessary, right? So I think it just comes down to having collaborative conversations and, and really understanding their systems, asking the right questions.
0: Uh, and just
1: being fun, you know, being a fun auditor. We like to be fun.
0: Ah, so. uh, that's two, fun and auditor are two words that usually do not coexist. Uh, but so that's unique. I'll, I'll give you that. That's I, We uh, want to be a fun auditor.
1: It's why I post memes, is to be fun. Uh.
0: That's right. You're a, you're a creator of memes, if, if I'm not that, mistaken. That's that, I guess
1: sometimes, sometimes I get good ones out there. Uh, <laughs> but you got to have fun with, not even just with auditing, right? With security in general, I think, right? I think we all get, it's very easy to get burnt out in the security industry. Oh, it can be industry. a very
0: dry topic too.
1: It's dry. Uh, it's scary at times, especially with some of these things going on with like solar winds. Uh, it can cause anxiety, Uh, So you got to like lighten it up a little bit, have fun, Um, you know, so that's what I try to do.
0: And well, we want, we're at the hour here. I want to give you a couple minutes. Is there anything you want to plug or let our audience know about, you know, the floor is yours on anything you want to put.
1: Well, you know, if you're looking for sock two, I'm your guy, Gills Norton. (laughs) Come reach out. Um, But yeah, you know, I, I don't really have anything to plug specifically. Um, I would just recommend read good books that have nothing to do with security. Like, do you have one
0: that you would absolutely recommend?
1: What's one that I would absolutely recommend? Uh, start with why by Simon, Simon Sinek. Sinek. Um, it's one of the first, not the first, but one of the best books I've ever read. And, you know, probably 10 years ago, I read it. Um, And I would, I would definitely recommend everybody read that book. It's just, it boils down to anything you're doing or decisions you're doing. You need to understand why you're doing them first before you understand the how. Most people start with the how first, like, how do I do this? But they don't stop to think, why am I doing this? And once you understand why you're doing something, it drives the how, right? So your decisions become a lot easier when it's clear, um, why you're doing something which is kind of relatable to security right if you're just implementing controls to implement controls what's the point right like understand why are we implementing this oh we're trying to do this we're trying to reduce this type of risk here and we're trying to protect this data over here oh all you have to do is do this right but if you start just like implementing 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 and don't understand why you can go down the wrong path very quickly so i recommend everybody read that book it's it's really relatable to anything in life so it's a book i would read
0: awesome advice thank you so much for sharing your friday afternoon with us troy really appreciate it It was a great conversation
1: i appreciate you having me it was fun
0: and uh yeah we should we should catch up in pittsburgh sounds like a plan to me.